This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we're talking table-topping Tottenham, beleaguered Burnley and blundering Bournemouth. We'll also be discussing Fulham, horror injuries and wonderful West Ham United. Joining me, Tom Clark, for all of that, we've got a former footballer once described by Marseille fans as Tony Goal. It's Tony Cascarino. Another former footballer once called strong, athletic and mobile by Mick Harford. It's Gregor Robertson. And a football writer once labelled by me as one of the finest young journalists in the country. <laughs> it's Tom Roddy. Now he's not young. Yeah. <laughs> you are young. We checked that before the show. And it's your birthday this week, so happy birthday. Oh. Um, but before we get into all of that, and there is loads for us to get into as usual on a Monday, we've got to start with this. Arsenal were last night crowned champions of the Premier League after beating Manchester City 1-0. One- <laughs> I know Arsenal fans, that's a little dig at you getting carried away. Don't worry, I've got loads of friends who are Arsenal fans and they're doing it as well. With good reason. It's a big moment, isn't it? Um, beating Pep Guardiola and Manchester City. Tony, what did you make of it overall? Was this weakened City? Arsenal taking advantage? Was it actually they nicked it late on when it probably should have finished nil-nil? Um, my first impressions would be it was a really poor game. Mm. And expecting two clubs who invested so much and the quality they've shown last season um, on both fronts, um, it lacked a lot of that. I... I felt sorry for the two centre-forwards on either team. And Ketier for Arsenal. And I'm thinking, God, you're not really get. You're not missing chances. You're not getting opportunities. Mm. And you can make the same sort of case for Haaland as well with City, where there was just nothing for him to feed off of. Um, that surprised me. Um, City without De Bruyne are a different team. And Rodri, of course. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, look, is he the most important player for City not to have? No. It's always going to be De Bruyne for me because he can make... You know, a game-changing pass in one moment, which he did twice, by the way, at least twice in the games home and away against uh, Arsenal last year. So I think it. I mean, look, I did say before the game, whatever happens, Arsenal just don't get beat because them two defeats last year, I thought they they come at a huge cost for Arsenal. That lack of belief for the way they ended the season. Um, so they managed to win it, and when it, I thought Declan Rice was in Manchester. Mm-hmm. You know, Declan Rice was the whole reason, and many people were going to say this, that, you know, you invest £100 million, and this is why you invest £100 million, because you have a player that, you know, listening to Pep talk about Rice before the game, and, you know, oh, well, we'd have got criticised, we'd have spent £100 million. I kept thinking, I wonder what Calvin Phillips has been yeah. You know, and, and, but his impact was immense yesterday. Yeah, uh, Martin Samuel described him as uh, well. Talked about it this morning in his column. How does Guardiola team look so insipid? Two words: Declan Rice. Yeah, uh, I, I I kind of agree with Cass on De Bruyne being the most important player. But the thing with Rodri is that I think he's the the one that is hardest to replace. That's the issue. Even if Haaland's missing, if De Bruyne's missing, they there's there's someone who can come in and and do that and. I don't know whether the Calvin Phillips situation is all Calvin Phillips's fault, whether it's partly Pep Guardiola's fault that he's not. Because you, if you think back to those performances he had for Leeds United, you would you would immediately assume that he would be the perfect person to come in for Rodri. But that's it, his career has just fallen off a, a cliff, really, um, in terms of club form. Um, and also, 
it, I think yesterday was a, a, a battle of the midfields and we are it, it was an illustration as to why midfielders are suddenly so so valuable Declan Rice going for 105 uh, Enzo Caicedo with yeah. uh, you know midfielders they're 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 a, they're a rarity I think now those particular ones you can you can kind of find these attacking forwardy wingery players all over the place who can score goals but guys like Rice Bellingham um Caicedo they're they're harder to come by now. Mm. Gregor, would you agree with those assessments from the guys? Battle in midfield, poor quality game? Definitely a poor quality game. I mean, it's also striking that, I know this isn't new, but City are playing with four centre-halves, basically. I mean, I know Kel Walker is a full-back, but he, he can play there. And really, Arsenal as well are playing with with three in Zinchenko and so like there's a lot of defensive minded players on the pitch and sometimes that's been looked at as a as a strength and something that you know if if, if it works if the fullback sometimes Walker bombs straight on sometimes uh, he'll rotate with sometimes they'll use Rico Lewis there uh, Zinchenko obviously steps into midfield but in a game like this when it kind of looked like both teams never really wanted to do anything too much to to go and win the game it kind of made for a pretty dull spectacle. Mm. There wasn't, you know, Gvardiol at left back was. I think he's a good footballer actually. He's but he's he's good on the mm. ball. He can pass it, mm. but he's not someone who's particularly mobile. He's a big centre half, <laughs> and it, there were times where it looked a bit awkward for him there. Um, and I agree about midfield. It's like they've kind of tried to do different things this summer too. Obviously, Rice was huge for for Arsenal. They needed some someone you know to offer solidity and a defensive instinct in there. Whereas City have gone for ball carriers Kovacic uh, Nunes who came on and I, I also found the team selection a bit peculiar I've always found it you know a bit difficult to, to try and critique Pep Guardiola but playing go for it playing, go playing Silva as <laughs> yeah. like the holding midfielder uh, and Alvarez on the right mm. was like you know it, it was interesting you're thinking well what's what? it didn't really work yeah. I, and you saw what they were trying to do. They try and they try and I think a lot of teams are trying to do this now. It's like it seems to be like an, another way of of breaking the press. Brighton obviously do this thing where they, you know, they they try and draw draw attackers in to create space. I think people try and do it in midfield now too. They almost try and get clusters, like almost like you're playing a little rondo, mm. three or four players in the middle of the pitch, mm. and so it's like they're trying to draw people on to play little short passes around them and then mm. break through it. And I think that's probably what he was going for, Silva. Silva is obviously a master technician and he wanted him to control the kind of pace of the game and probably do that along with, with Rico Lewis. It's, but, it's not uh, that, Gregor. It's not that. It's that Mikel Arteta said yesterday that he was up for sleepless nights. Pep Guardiola just thought, what is the last thing he's going <laughs> to expect? <laughs> All right, he's overthinking it. We'll just say that. He's overthinking it. Well, that's, but, that's, <laughs> cheap. but that's true, isn't it? Like You think about the games last season. There was a lot of tactical back and forth, weren't mm. there, in the games. Each game mm. was different. You know, We had a piece on the Times website um, by our young journalist, Hamza, who talked about, before the game, he talked about those tactical battles back and forth. Do you think this one, Tony, was a case of maybe... Pep trying something that was based in the players he was missing, you know, the De Bruyne's and the Rodri's, and that Arteta maybe was heeding some of your advice, don't lose the game. Yeah, well, I definitely thought that because the defeats were devastating to them Mm. last year. And when I said the most important player, what I meant is that Declan Rice and Rodri and players of that ilk are very good at stopping their team conceding goals. They defend brilliantly for their team. The one thing that was sorely missing was the player to make the pass to open even a really difficult defence on midfield. You know, De Bruyne has done that all his career where, and Odegaard will do it to a degree, where it's, they're defending brilliantly. They're doing fantastic. Mm. Then there's suddenly a ball from nowhere. Well, he couldn't do a lot about that. Mm. And, and the perfect ball, what was missing from Man City. And De Bruyne has always delivered that at least once or twice in a game at, at times. I think uh, we're, we're also realising that Rodri did that. Like we're probably, yeah, and you I, could add, yeah. you know, you saw it happen, but you thought, his, you know, as you say, his primary responsibility was sitting in front of the back four and dictating play. But mm. sometimes, you know, he takes it on the takes it on the run Which and like round the corner and, and well, drives forward a few yards and then plays that forward. Mm. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So that Tom's absolutely right. It's like this season, a big a big theme has been how important a kind of 
an all-rounder and how well, valuable they are I, now, yeah, obviously, as well, an all-rounder I, midfielder like that. It's just a really big point here is because what we've talked about, what the game is missing, we don't associate with these two clubs, mm. OK? And then if we draw it further afield, what has Madison done mm. for Spurs with the, the type of ball that he can do? What has Paqueta done at West Ham? You know, so if you go for it, you actually realise that, yeah, there are they are hundred million pound players, but it's really it's really. I mean, Madison getting in for forty five million. I know I'm going a little bit off the track. What I'm trying to describe is the player that can really open a game up. Yeah, and you play against them. I was lucky enough to play with um, Hoddle uh, and Liam Brady, and it was very hard for teams to stop them because they would do something in a game that no one else was capable of. And I thought that was sorely missed yesterday by City. So you're saying that the modern game now, because of all the varying tactics, some of the which Gregor yeah. outlined earlier, but can be so often so grounded in stopping the, the, the opposition yeah. as well as your own positives, that these players that we're talking about are now becoming the absolute key to a team. Someone who can yeah. break well, that, I've mentioned break West that press, play, break that block, yeah. anything like that. Yeah, they can, they can unlock the key mm. to that block. Because yesterday, there, it was quite clear that it was very difficult to break each other down. Mm. And that was evident from the first 10 minutes. And probably evident in the goal that comes from a deflection as well. Um, talking about passing and starting attacks, I want to talk about David Raya, because uh, Kaz, in your column this morning, uh, David Raya seems to invite trouble. Aaron Ramsdale's head must be in a spin. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, look, he's... This goalkeeper, I mean, look, I always... I have to walk carefully on it because with all the data and stats and everything that's out there that we all have at our disposal and our way to win games and small margins are massive. But everyone seems to forget the small margin if don't give the ball away in really bad areas where mm. goalkeepers are prepared to go here into your feet with the player with his back to the goal and a player closing him down, that that's okay. And Sunday, it wasn't there. It was You could just watch the Brighton-Liverpool game. Mm. I mean, it was just like two or three major errors in the game. Reyes had it with a crossfield pass at, at Lance in midweek. And again, he's attempted it and got away with it. Let's get it right. He totally got away with but it. But Ramsdale was having those moments himself exactly. last season, to yeah. be fair to him. Yeah. So this this is not just a specific to David Rea. I mean... You know, he was good in the second half. Yeah, this is a he thing. did change it around the second. Fair play to him because he did look like a nervous wreck mm. at the start. You can't you can't be sort of inhibited when you've got to do these things, and as as Tony's saying, in such a position of risk, trying to like pick out a pass, and maybe play it to the right side of Declan uh, of Declan Rice, you know, so it's on the other side of the defendant, the defensive infielder. So like he, he felt he looked like he was tight mm. in the second half. You know, he, he he came to collect a few balls. You saw him grow, and he started pinging balls yeah. long. And you know that that's why he has been saying. So I kind of agree with Tony, and it's a, that's another theme this year. You know, I interviewed mm. uh, Mark Flecken at Brentford, and um, for a piece on Saturday, and he's had a difficult start, but they've signed him for the same reason. So we've got Raya Flecken, Onana, uh, and the Brighton goalkeeper mm. as well. Who's so like and Sanchez, yeah. Mm. So they're all being signed for this reason, but. There have been moments, and there are going to be these moments, and I think ultimately managers are willing to accept it up to a point that it kind of it sometimes going to be a bit wobbly. Yeah, I wonder whether it is the expectation that you are being signed to be the goalkeeper who plays a worldy pass just co constantly, rather than just a clever pass like De Gea used to do. That was the start of it, wasn't <laughs> it? Whereas now you're just seeing the the. the the expectation is just so high on them, and Raya is Raya was bought to make those passes because Ramsdale possibly couldn't, so he, tr he so he has to attempt it every single time. Uh, I, honestly, I've got to make this point. Well, just play Glenn Oddle and Liam Brady in goal. Yeah. <laughs> well, was, but I was going to. I was partly. You're, you're joking, but I was going to make that point that you're saying, Tony, about these players that can unlock games. They, the you know, the Kevin De Bruyne's of the world, his pass completion is not 100% no. because he tries these passes, but actually goalkeepers are trying these passes mm. in their own box. And they're going to make mistakes, aren't they? I mean, of course. A, we've got to factor that in as well. If teams want to play this way. I've won, and without sound, sounding too old, <laughs> um, one of my managers once said, the goalkeeper is the last man. It's a goal. If you If you lose it there, you are conceding a goal. Okay, not every time, but the point is a very valid one. Yeah. If you're just going to sign the best footballer you can... I watch Anano, and again, I'm going off track with... I watch Anano and sometimes think, he tries to play the most difficult pass on at times as well. Mm. And which is, wow. I, I just don't get it. I, 
can you not be a good goalkeeper and do the basics of goalkeeping right and sometimes choose to play when it's on but not recognise ridiculous danger? The ball into the heart of the pitch, you know, literally on the edge of the 18-yard box. Well, I think players of our, our day, Gregor, and, and you're a bit younger than me, there'd be punch-ups happening. <laughs> Wouldn't there? <laughs> Why would you give me it there? Why? Even I, think, with... I think we're screaming into the window here. I yeah. think, like, this, this is yeah, the, the change is here. This is the, the change is here. It won't be the last time we talk about goalkeepers and their passing ability this season. <laughs> it's probably about the fifth time we've talked about it already, and we're only in October. <laughs> but moving on, Arsenal are not Premier League champions, as I joked about at the start. And they can't be because Tottenham are top of the table. Uh, a really resilient win uh, is how Tom will not describe their win at uh, Luton on Saturday. Down to 10 men after Ibasuma was sent off, but they managed to find a way to win. I mean, Gregor, this is the other side of Ange ball, isn't it? Well, it's going to have to be, yeah. I mean, we said for uh, for quite a while uh, at the start of the season that because of how adventurous uh, the fullbacks have to be in, uh, in Postacoglu's team, you need two really reliable and quite kind of multi-functional central defenders. And it looks very much like they've got one in, in Van Ven, who's so quick. And he's also, and certainly in this game, and Romero stood up to the sort of, the battering that, that Luton can mm. throw at you. Um, you know, repelling everything that came into the box, particularly when they went down to 10 men. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was the th- I think that was the theme of this game, and th- that Tottenham, for all their kind of sexy football, uh, showed that they've got a kind of a resolute back line as well when they need it and and a bit of backbone. Um, but Van Ven's been huge. Mm. I think you know he's young and you know we speak about players sometimes having to take time to acclimatise to the Premier League, the pace and the physicality and stuff. He doesn't look like it. He's against Liverpool as well. There were times where there was some of those kind of Liverpool playing on the break, maybe sending Salah through, and he just accelerated away. And you thought, wow, this guy's an athlete. Yeah. So, well, talking of sexy football, James Madison's assist for the goal, though. That it, it, you, again, coming back to that point, Tony, it was going to take a moment like that, someone mm. with the composure to go, "I'm going to do a little cheeky turn from a corner in the penalty area and play it back to the to the guy to tap it in." Thinking about that, Tony, and thinking about the loss of Harry Kane, Madison, Son, that relationship that they've developed already, is it enough to carry Tottenham all the way through the season? No, not at the moment. Richarlison is struggling for whatever reasons he's finding it hard mm. um, Son was really quiet in the game and it, and it was you know again going back to a point of a player who can make a difference in a moment for you to get enable a victory I thought the really interesting part was that that Postacoglu changed the tactics towards the end of the game knowing what was coming yeah but you know and he really bought into it didn't he you know Madison off 67 Son off Rich Allison went off at half time you know, well, it was Emerson it was, Royale, Skip, yeah. uh, and the third one, Hoiberg, Hoiberg yeah, yeah, came on. Uh, you know, he, he changed things around and went to a back sort of back five, if you like, mm. just to try and stop the wide areas coming in. So, that, you know, fair kudos to him. Mm. Uh, I don't think Tottenham have got enough because whatever you Not got do enough for what to win the top, they, <laughs> no, they, they no. can't. Well, they, I mean, no. I, you know, I was saying about them topping the table, and that's brilliant for them. But I, I do, I don't think even Tottenham fans are saying no, they're going to win the league. No, no, uh, it'd be interesting. It's so interesting when you lose a player of obviously like Harry Kane. You think, God, they could do with a Harry Kane in this sort of lineup and the way they play, and how many goals would he get? And mm. I, I think it's a, a fair question. Although that that was quite interesting, where it was like the teams that have accumulated this number of points at this stage in the season, I think eleven of them won the title and something like 16 of them made it in the top four and only two didn't something mm. like that I think, you know it was around about that so it has been a hell of a start it has mm. but I think that that, that that is an interesting point isn't it that that about that attitude if you like Tom you know if you think this had, say if this had been Tottenham under Antonio Conte with Harry Kane and all that hype that went into that season of they're going to finish at least third they're going to challenge for the title if they'd been there they'd be like oh Tottenham are finally here Whereas this time, it was manager that some fans weren't aware of, didn't know. They'd lost their star player. The expectation drops. So that even then, when you go top, it's, oh, well, this is just nice, isn't it? And maybe we'll get top four. It's nice, but it also it also builds the expectation because he's setting a bar early on, isn't he? And it's a high bar early on. The, the better you do, the higher the pressure gets, the higher the expectation grows. It reminds me a little bit of... Um, of uh, Brendan Rodgers at, at Liverpool a little bit because I don't think it was entirely expected for them to be making a title challenge at at that time and 
if this season they are challenging for the top four, which they should do, then what happens next year? Um, they, they're expected to be in that top four position. but And, and a lot of the time from you know his days at Celtic, there was this theory that it did kind of get figured out a little bit after that because it is a brand new style of football, new to the league and a new manager, but it gets slightly figured out. But he is so... Um, resilient in the way he wants to play that he won't change mm. that was that's that's what the history they're says to, they're gonna have to deal without Basuma for one game and he's still on four bookings so mm. I'm sure another suspension is in the pipeline as mm. well he's been huge for them mm. you don't see a replacement for him you don't see a replacement for Madison you don't really see one for Son as you say unless Richarlison really steps up I don't really maybe one at centre half but those two guys have been pretty yeah, big uh, so it's about depth too and I know they don't have European football but you look at the players they're throwing on Ben Davis, Skip, Hoiberg, Royale there's no there's no real attacking option in, in reserve either so I mean I, like, I, it's been what? it's been great it's been great so far and I think they've surprised a lot of people already and I think they, they can make a, a, a real good fist of a, an attempt to go for the top four but beyond that no I, it's really interesting the comparisons of Newcastle what they did in a short space of time with a new goalkeeper in Pope three of the back four came in pretty similar time changed Newcastle completely and Spurs have done exactly the same thing mm. three out of the back four are new and the goalkeeper Yeah, it's, it's just a nearly exact comparison and how it's changed the sort of idea of Tottenham and how they play yeah absolutely well let's end the Tottenham discussion on a positive note from Tony Cascarino it was pouring uh, cold water all over their title <laughs> aspirations. Tottenham fans enjoy it. You've got two weeks top of the table as it's an international break. Greg, I wanted to quickly mention Luton. Um, I watched this game because I was working on the Sunday Times editing desk on Saturday and I thought they were really good in parts. That you know, I was watching them and thinking a lot of the things that you've talked about, the intensity, the fitness, the work rate, the really getting stuck in, you know, slightly traditional uh, old school values from the Football League. But is this a case of Rob Edwards going something that you talked about at the start of the season, home form's going to be massive, a chance to play against 10 men for quite a while. It's a bit of a missed opportunity to pick up at yeah, least a point, isn't it? It's taking chances. And actually, I was thinking, what you know, watching the, the highlights of this, that when Edwards, <laughs> whenever they missed a chance, Edwards turned away in disgust, sometimes throwing his hands up and stuff. And the you know, players watching that back must be thinking, you know, don't always like that, you know, and his, yeah. his disgust is so clear. Mm. But it was understandable because Adebayo's miss was awful and Doughty's volley too. He's got a beautiful left foot, Doughty, and, and the ball came over and he just kind of dragged it across the goal and he thought that I thought that was going to nestle in the far corner. So it's understandable and, and that's what they have to change because they've missed a lot of big chances. Um, they are creating opportunities. They're, they're a danger at set pieces they were against Everton last week. Um, and they've got a decent kind of foundation. They're not giving any, no, it's not been an easy game for anyone against mm. Luton. They just don't have that final bit so, of quality. So how do you think, and I'm ask all the boys this really, is that if they keep getting beat and all that desire and hunger that they've put into games and then suddenly the defeats are still continuing, in what sort of team will Luton be in the second part of the season? Because I've been in teams that we've been competitive and we work hard and we, you know, we're fighting for everything but we keep getting beat. And and that's where I, I think Rob Edwards' biggest challenge is going to be. Are you saying in those scenarios, after a while, the work rate drops because you think, what's the point? What's the point? But do you, are you saying that after a while, that, that energy and intensity, Belief. you start thinking, what's the point? Because well, it's not getting anyth anything out of it. Well, you, you, you have the defeats. You get back to Monday morning, you get to your training, you're working really hard again, and then the next Saturday you get beat again and back to training. And, and it becomes that absolute hunger and desire just falls a small bit mm. and it does in certain parts of the team if they lose that then they're, they're absolutely got no chance mm. so they have to keep that up even with you know that was a hard defeat for them to take like like Gregor said they had a, two or three really good chances in the game didn't take them but if they keep if they go on which they are going to do at times during the season get beat regularly then Edwards his challenge is going to be how do I get results from this team without losing that, which has been clear, 
their great desire and hunger to try and... Look, they're a team that needs to prove they're worthy of Premier League status. And sometimes with that, you get a real hunger desire that is just fantastic and teams do stay up on that. But how far can Luton keep going with what only Everton away I, really is the victory? I think the league, the league table will be a big factor in that. And they're, they're out of the bottom three at the moment. We have yeah. to remember that. Mm. There's a really, you know, all the promoted teams have struggled so, so badly. Bournemouth we're going to come out and talk about and you look above that and, you know, Everton were wobbling for a while, but it, it, it could be a little mini League of Four if one of them survives, yeah, you know. Yeah. We're maybe getting a bit ahead of ourselves Everton with, won't be with Bournemouth. But the other three, undoubtedly, mm. you know, one of them might survive, oh, but yeah. one of them might not. It might be the three of them. Yeah, well, another team in that bottom three are Burnley, Vincent Company side, beaten 4-1 by Chelsea. And I wanted to talk about this game because, again, I watched it in full. It's only the second time I'd seen Burnley. And again, Gregor, I found myself thinking, he, he knows a thing or two about football, that lad, because I was watching the first half going, God, they've got a lot going for them. They're really you know, good, high-pressing, they're brave on the ball. You know, They're giving Chelsea a really good game. And then the errors start to come. Then the errors start to creep in. And the er- one error seems to link to another error and another error. And it did then make me think of Alison Rudd, who has said on this podcast before that company, it's a bold and brave decision to play the way he's going to play, but it might ultimately cost them. Gregor, what do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, the, it just seems to be like a, a recurring theme that company comes on and says that they were, you know, he's really pleased with his team's performance for big parts of the game, and then, uh, you know, as you say, a mistake or naivety or something just almost caused a collapse. They do seem to fall mm. like a pack of cards pretty quickly. Um, and the first one that went off the defender's knee and then that was unfortunate. Yeah, that was really that bad was really luck. But, that, but that's kind of what I'm coming back mm. to. I, I saw that and was like, oh, that's so unlucky. They played really well. They scored a great goal of their own. It was a brilliant finish. Um, and I thought, they're really in this game. And then that bit of luck. But that bit of luck seemed to knock them so much. You know, we're talk, Tony's talking about Luton and confidence and mental state if stay in these games. Mm. It just seemed to shatter them completely rather than keep them buoyed. We're one all. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, look again. It's another team that have got very little Premier League experience, and they're one of the youngest in the in the league. And that's their that's their their blueprint. That's what they wanted to do. That was the whole overhaul that company, uh, you know, enacted when in his first summer and since then in the transfer market. So that's the plan. They want to be youthful and full of energy and dynamism and fearlessness, and they show it for a lot for large periods of games. But then they show the other side of that. And as we say, as we they might grow into the season. I think company can. We still see him saying that that's what he thinks is going to happen. There's the more they, they they experience the Premier League and and feel like they they belong here, as Tony was mentioning, the more we'll see from them. But we might not. Mm. We might still see these errors. Tom Roddy, uh, you cover Chelsea a lot for us. Three wins in the trot. He's <laughs> turned it around. Our mate Pochettino hasn't. He? He's beaten Brighton. Good win against Fulham. And you know, for as much as I'm criticising Burnley, I thought Chelsea themselves in parts were good in this game I thought Raheem Sterling was excellent a really vital outlet for them does it feel like something Pochettino's done to change them or is it just the case of good players finally playing well I think the opponents helped as Mm. well Um, I didn't think Brighton played particularly well at all in that League Cup game surprisingly Uh, Fulham weren't great at all and lacked, they were a bit toothless up front without... um, Without a goal scorer and um, Burnley, as you guys have touched on, do tend to just capitulate quite quickly. Uh, so there's a little bit of that, but they've kind of found that um, medium zone again where actually they started the season playing really well and going into this run of games, they just totally lost their confidence entirely lost their confidence every every time you watch them as soon as it started going wrong it would just fall apart so I think these run of games were really helpful in building a little bit of momentum um, giving them a little bit of uh, breathing space where the, the, the focus is suddenly on Man United rather than, than them um, and it was important as well because they've got a pretty tricky run of games coming up, so they really they had to win these um, to to give them a chance of picking up the table. And and you know now after the international break, Reese James will be back. Um, it won't be too too long until Unkunku. That's December, so it's a little way off. But until Unkunku comes in, Chilwell, 
How long? <clears throat> That's a little while still. Um, a, maybe around about the Unkunku time. But I think they can deal with that because Colwell's been playing left back. Yeah, really. Well, I was going to bring that up. Gregor, you were talking about City and Arsenal and playing centre backs and things. You look <laughs> at that Chelsea defence, he's got Cucurella, a left footed kind of. <laughs> left-sided centre-back, left-wing-back playing as a right-back. He's got Colwell, a centre-back, playing as a left-back. But it's it's good management, isn't yeah. it? It's finding a solution to problems. Yeah, best Yeah, best I've seen Cucurella play for Chelsea, ironically, in yeah. the right-back position. But I just I really get the impression that the players have hugely bought into Mauricio Pochettino. And I think, actually, from Raheem Sterling as well, I think the reason you're seeing him play as well as he has done... Um, so far this season is is because of Mauricio Pochettino. There is some big things that have happened to Chelsea in the last couple of weeks. And if you go to the Fulham game, Nicholas Jackson scoring, Mudrick scoring. Then you go to the weekend, Cole Palmer gets a pen, Nicholas Jackson scores, Sterling scores, where their forwards have been heavily criticised for missing so many chances. So I think Poch will be delighted that, yes, who they've played, but they've actually got players having a big impact in games. Mm. And for uh, those players, right, as a as a former striker, they, for those players, once you score, the, the papers can stop writing you off, right? Well, I, you're, I, you're off the mark. Nicholas Jackson reminds me of a little bit of the first season of Didier Drogba at Chelsea. He didn't have a good season. You know, Drogba struggled at times and looked like he was a little bit reckless in his game and didn't quite look up to the Premier League. I mean, the rest is history, but I mean, you know, his first season wasn't great. Nicholas Jackson's probably bought more goals at the start of his Chelsea career than I think Drogba did. Um, so I I think there's good signs for Chelsea. And I think they now that midfield are quite like of... I'm, I'm looking at Fernandez in there. Um, obviously, Caicedo... Snapped in a couple of tackles look, for the goal. He's a consequence. Caicedo's a consequence of having your head turned. Mm. Not getting a move. Pill at the post. Tug a war over him. Comes up. Turns up. A bit like Mason Mount's turned up at Man United. Doesn't look ready to be the... Premier League player we know he can be and I think Cucurella with Gallagher is the improvement of his game Gallagher now is getting the ball and he's more often turning mm. instead of just giving it back to the person who gave it to him and I, that happened in, in the Burnley game a number of times I'm thinking that's what I want to see from Gallagher when it comes into him get on the half turn and then try the forward pass look for an option Chelsea weren't doing that and I, I really feel that they are turning a corner and they, the Chelsea team will be a far different team going into the second part of the season, I'm sure. Barring, hopefully, loads of injuries. Yeah, well, I mean, they'll get lots of players back. Tom, I just quickly wanted to ask about Cole Palmer, because it was a transfer that kind of snuck in out of nowhere towards the end of the window. A young player pinched from Manchester City. Um, I thought it was quite interesting that he's taking the penalty in that team. You know, <laughs> stepping up, scoring the penalty, running to the Chelsea fans, pounding the badge. <laughs> I love these boys. I've been here all my life. Are you sure, Cole? I'm not... One of our own. Yeah, be singing exactly. is one of our own. <laughs> but, you know, tell us a bit about that transfer. Is that a case of just, you know, Todd Bowley and his millions and millions and going, he's a young player we can nick? Or is it a case of maybe Pochettino going, he's a young player that I could mould into something special? Well, um, the, the start of it, was uh, was Carney Chukwemaker's injury because you had a domino effect where Christopher Nkunku got injured. Mm. He would have, he would be playing every single game. He is seen as being the best player in that team. That's that's the perception uh, from pre-season at Chelsea. Um, then Chukwemaker gets injured, and so they needed to bring someone else in and what they wanted to do was not get someone who was necessarily a winger not get someone who was necessarily a striker but something a little bit in the middle someone who could play that number 10 role as well which he has done but also have the longevity where it's not it is a stopgap it is a it is a short-term solution they hadn't wanted to do or planned to do because Injuries stopped them buying another striker this summer. They were they they were looking at that, and they you know there was a budget of around eighty million pounds to spend really, but that ends up going on Axel Dazazi after Fafana gets injured, and it goes mm. on um, Cole Palmer when Unkunku and Carney Chukwemeka get injured. Um, so that money disappears, but Cole Palmer is seen as someone who can be there for ten. 10 years um, and he, he was 
it just ticked a lot of boxes for them where he was he was he was seen as being ready made for the premier league that was the that was the key messaging was that he was ready made and you could see that from you could see that from the uefa super cup final that man city played uh from the community shield as yeah. well as he scored in that he, he he's he's got an eye for goal and he's a really really confident lad and that's actually, I think that's really helped with Chelsea as well. Um, a lot of those players I touched on earlier were, were lacked confidence so much, whereas he's injected that into the others because he he came in full of it. Um, and what you'll see now, as you get towards Christmas time, barring any more injury issues you'll see competition which is what any team and manager hopes for really so you'll see the competition of Madueke, Sterling, Nkunku, Chukwameka, Palmer, Mudrik how do you fit all of those players mm. into the team and and that can it's a fine line between between becoming a problem and being a, a, a great uh lifting the levels of all of those players because of the competition. There you are, Mauricio Pochettino. Just when you think you've turned a corner, there's more trouble ahead. You've got <laughs> loads of star players to fit into your squad. We're going to move on. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you're subscribed. If we've not mentioned your team and you're not happy about it, you can get in touch with me via email, tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk. You might want to do that if you're a Manchester United fan because we're not going to talk about Scott McTominay's heroics against Brentford because, quite frankly, you were absolutely rubbish and didn't deserve to win. And we're not going to mention <laughs> Liverpool's thriller against Brighton as well. So maybe you just want to get in touch to be angry but stick with us we are going to mention West Ham Fulham Sheffield United and Bournemouth coming up next small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark, and I'm joined by Tom Roddy, Tony Cascarino and Gregor Robertson. And up next, we're going to talk West Ham. Unbeaten in 17 European matches after that win against Freiburg in the week, they went up against the juggernaut that is Newcastle United, fresh from that win against PSG. And David Moyes mastermind a 2-2 win, and it was watched by Tom Roddy. What did you make of it, Tom? It was a really good game. It was, um, it was really entertaining, and actually I kind of went into it thinking that... This year, West Ham have lost to Man City and they've lost to Liverpool, but they've had their best start for years and years and years. Um, and really, as you described Newcastle, they are a juggernaut. They are up there with City and Liverpool this year. So it was a measure of where West Ham are. And actually... Um, even though it's even though it's not really in my report, but as a theme for the for the season, it made me think back to the summertime and sitting here talking about the idiocy of West Ham in us, everyone knowing Declan Rice is leaving and they don't 
They haven't brought in any replacements. And yet I watched them yesterday and James Ward-Prowse once again was was excellent, absolutely excellent. Kudus is, Mohamed Kudus is the one who comes on and scores the equaliser and he's had a really good start. And Edson Alvarez as well. Um, he's he's kind of gone a little bit under the radar, but he's a really solid player. And we were talking earlier about the the lack of um, those defensive midfielders. He's he's been a really good buy for West Ham, and they just they just look like a team that are they're playing better football than I can remember a Moyes West Ham side playing. What do you mean by better football? Just it's easy on the eye. I mean, it's possibly it's the it's the amount of quality they have. I think last season you would watch them and think Declan Rice is the one who stands out by miles. But then this year you've got Pakatar, who's just a, a joy to watch. Um, Bowen just seems to get better and better. I love watching Antonio. You know, they they go from playing Mbappe in midweek and Antonio's causing them way more problems. <laughs> <laughs> um, just just his... I just think they, they played... A lot of this comes down to the manager on the touchline because the, the way they played um, Newcastle worked beautifully because... Antonio was a target man, but it was very clever the way he drifted and created space. And I thought it was just so bold as well. They were really brave in the way they played because you've got the first goal for um, West Ham comes through Emerson bombing on and and leaving that left back space totally exposed. So if Newcastle win the ball, they're in they're in danger. Um, so I just really admire the way they're playing. And then on the Newcastle side, that's. That's probably the worst I've seen them play in a long time, and w- whether that's the come down of um, of midweek, which <laughs> which would be expected from such a high, but it, this game probably highlighted just how good Alexander Isak is. I mean, he was by far, by far their best player, mm. and I think showed he is probably in the among those top strikers in the Premier League not not just his you know his movement his finishing he's he's one of the calmest finishers I've ever seen strong as well he's, he's very strong throws yeah. people off yeah <laughs> and and the one um the other thing to mention which is a theme across uh the Premier League this weekend is incidents of uh possible red cards I thought Gimmaraish <laughs> should have been sent off and it was it was because of two it was because the incidents were so close together which um i think was the case of because i was at west ham i didn't see mm. the uh, arsenal game live but that was the case with Kovacic, Kovacic, right? right close together yeah um and so at least you've got consistency <laughs> oh no i was, I think I was they were like lads was, let's go under the radar i was, weekend, I was desperately <laughs> trying to keep away from var and refereeing decisions but there's there's well thankfully there's lots of themes that you brought up in your answer there i want to start with um west ham because in in your piece you talk about last season struggling with that jam-packed fixture list um going close to relegation and then winning the europa conference league uh, you know and that year on they sit above newcastle and they've started well in the europa league gregor you covered them in that Conference League triumph last season is this all David Moyes is this a blend of some of the things Tom's talking about quality players coming into a team that are used to being kind of solid tough to beat adding that bit of extra class well it certainly looks so far that they've spent some of that race money pretty well and as Tom was saying we were all saying (laughs) you know God they've seen this coming for ages and like then there was the whole idea about the kind of friction between Moyes and Tim Stiden who came in as like sporting director uh, you know, all that's been dispelled a little bit. So you know, time will tell. But they, there is certainly a lot of promise in in uh, in some of the signings. I'd also say that Kufal, Suchek, Antonio, who Tom referenced, they were all way off the boil for a large period of last season, and they're back on it. And I'd also say Ariola has been excellent since he's been handed basically the number one spot in goal, and Emerson has really upped his game this season too. So I think maybe perhaps it's like. <laughs> Seeing some new players coming in, that often raises the raises the bar a bit, doesn't it, Tony? And it's well, it, like, and but that's important. I mean, Ku, I would have said Kufal was on his way out. Mm, I'd mm. have said Suchek possibly, but then I think he signed a new deal as well. He's, he's getting back in amongst the goals. He looked, you know, such a threat when he first arrived. Uh, 
And Antonio looked like he was out the door in the summer too, but as he's still leading the line. Bowen's just signed a new deal. He's he's been out. so the players are just kind of last season when they were underperforming, they seem to be performing. And add to that some of the new signings. It's it's been excellent for them. So <laughs> it's far. a welcome reminder, isn't it, Tony? That in modern football, where we see so much change, that players like Gregor's outlined there can kind of come again at the same club, and a manager in David Moyes can come again. Probably that what? How many iterations of his time at West Ham is this? Four, five. Well, I I would say sometimes you and this happened to Ireland in two thousand two when Roy Keane left Republic of Ireland. And then loads of players, standard, picked up for whatever reason. The team got united and played really well. You've seen Declan Rice leave West Ham. Who would have imagined that West Ham now? I think David Moyes has got his best West Ham team. Mm. Looking at what he's got now, and what the, you know, we're talking about the flair in the team. There's players who've re- been reignited this season because Bowen was nowhere near last year, and that's not because of Declan Rice, but Harry Kane left Tottenham and Tottenham are flying. So you're saying yeah. it's almost like a reliance on that player when, as Tom says, you watch them and you're like, well, Declan's miles better than the rest. Yes, of us. but you know, I mean, I played against uh, David Moyes when I was a Celtic. And he played for Dunfermline in the centre half, and I clattered him, okay, <laughs> which wasn't a good, good idea. Piece, <laughs> I clattered him and thinking, and he's just looked at me and stared at me, didn't swear, didn't say a word, just stared at me, and I got oh, I looked at his eyes and I thought it's Chucky, it's the horror monster. <laughs> <laughs> It's Chucky. He's staring at you. He just gave me that stare, and it stayed with me all the time. And I remember thinking. Nothing's phasing that guy. And I think Junie's Not man- even Tony Cascarino no, can throw but him off That guard. look was just... It just made a mark on me. And as the years have gone by, and I thought, what a job he did at Preston and Everton and where he's... You know, it's not worked out at, at Real Sociedad. But he's, there's something about David Moyes that... There's no contract talks or... You know, he's he's totally fixed and doing the best job he can for West Ham. And there's no, you normally get the agents involved and, oh, why hasn't he been given a new deal? And he's won Europa League last year where most managers would be, you know, they'd be clamouring for their team to somehow get a new deal out of it. And David Moyes just seems to really love football, have quite a clear way of thinking. And in some way, I think it's his best West Ham team he's had. You know, mm. and, and to say that without Declan Rice is a big statement for me because Declan is a fantastic footballer, as we know. But somehow he's managed it and... All the trauma of last season with all the transfers that came in and ones that didn't work as well. He had to deal with that. So he had players off form. He had transfers that didn't work, apart from Paqueta, who obviously is... Became good. Uh, You're right. He didn't, yeah. he didn't start. Half. Yeah, he didn't start. But he, he's, he's become a better player with more time with Moyes. And again, he was a player that didn't throw his toys out of the pram when Man City were quite clearly after him. So I, I think a lot of kudos to... Well, kudos. I've been <laughs> yeah, very good. Even very kudos, good. yeah. yeah. Um, you know, just as him as a, as a manager, I think, do you know what? I've got a lot of admiration for you because you've had the ups and downs and he wasn't a great choice for West Ham, you know, in some of their eyes because they was, you know, neither in nor there on David mm. Moyes. And I'd like to think today West Ham fans now would look at him with the same respect as John Lyle, the greats of the past, you know, and, and others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I think he's done an amazing job. I think it's fragile. Yeah, I'll I always be fragile. Scottish defence No, I agree in. that like they're, they're play because they have a few more flair players, but you also have to question how he's going to necessarily get them all in or whether he's ever going to want to because mm. <laughs> it's, 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 it's always starts from a position of caution solidity and yeah, yeah caution, caution conservatism yeah, and those sort of things so well that's always the case and yes they're doing well just now I think it's always fragile with West Ham and David Moyes final question on West Ham that links back to another team we were talking about Tottenham earlier best value impact signing James Madison or James Ward-Prowse Ward-Prowse for me Tom uh, Madison Tony Madison yeah Madison I knew you were all <laughs> that's why I went for James Ward Prowse that's, uh, that's why you're hosting Tom thank you <laughs> exactly offering the alternative view now uh, and also the reason I'm hosting is that I can move on from David Moyes and talking about West Ham to Fulham and Sheffield United Tom you were at West Ham Gregor you were at Fulham and Sheffield United Fulham not a team that we've talked about a great deal on this season's show we loved them last season, had a very unsettled summer with talk of manager Marco Silva maybe leaving, Mitrovic eventually leaving. This is a big win for them, isn't it, that puts them back on track? Yeah, although it was a bizarre game. They, it was You thought after the first half that 
full, I think they scored in two ga- in in the last two games. This was a, a meeting between the two teams who had who had had the fewest attempts uh, on goal so far. I think they were joint lowest scorers with Bournemouth. So uh, you know it wasn't that much of a surprise, but Fulham were far superior and William was on fire, like dazzling down the wing, linking up brilliantly with Anthony Robin- uh, Robinson, the left back, and flashing ball after ball across the box and. There were some good defending from Sheffield United, but also there were some pretty bad finishing, and you thought this could be, this could quite easily be a nil-nil, and Sheffield United would be happy to escape with that. And then also, what made it bizarre was the manner of the, some of the goals. Mm. I mean, you saw Tom Kearney's slip, kind of kicking the ball, I think probably off his standing leg, looping onto the crossbar, mm. and then in off the back of fodering the fodering the goalkeeper's head, um, an own goal by by Anthony Robinson. Um, so it was a, it was a strange game, but Fulham Fulham were far superior, and it's, it was largely down to Willian. Willian was you know he's thirty five, and he's he, we were we were talking about this we're before Tony and I. Yeah. He, you know if you look at the two seasons he had, and when he signed, I think he had, I think he came on trial. Mm. I'm not sure it was even like a straight up. He, he'd been at Corinthians the year before, and and basically had to escape with yeah, his family because down. he was mm. he'd be, received so much abuse. Mm. Uh, he was at Arsenal the year before that, it's and terrible. like mm. he was just chastised. Really, he looked overweight. He looked like completely uninterested, and then he pitches up at Fulham, and people are thinking, "What? What are you doing?" Uh, and he <laughs> took a little while to get fit, and he was brilliant last season. I think he had had a hand in eleven goals. Then he was nearly had his head turned this summer by Forest and so you know the Saudi Pro League. Thought he was going to join uh, Mitrovic maybe, and. He missed a few games in pre-season, but he's their most important attacking player, no doubt. Like, is that another case of something we were talking about before with West Ham and Declan Rice, and then big players leaving, Mitrovic leaving? Is it a case that he's maybe gone? I can st- I can step into the void here. I don't know if it's quite that simple because there's still a void. Right. Like he was playing, mm-hmm. as I say, Royal Jimenez. I think it's now thirty games that he's thirty Premier League games without a goal for him. He started seven before this and. Not scored a goal. Uh, Vinicius came in, and he's it, the problem for him is he looks better with his back to goal. Mm. Like whenever he's got, whenever he's facing the goal, he don't have any confidence of him scoring. Whereas he slipped in William once with a with a really good bit of hold up play, and he sl- he played a, a part in in the opening goal by holding off uh, the Sheffield United defender and slipping in. Who was it on the Dragon. left? Pereira, yeah. Andres Pereira, and then Pereira played the ball across for Decord over Reed. So. With his back to goal, yes, but he's going to need you, you, a Fulham team are going to need their number nine to score goals, and so I think until they, you know, rectify that problem in in January when the transfer windows window opens, they're going to struggle because for all the good build-up play, I still don't see where necessarily William William will come up with a, a a wonder goals from time to time. There's a few others who'll chip in, but they don't have. Uh, it's a problem for a few teams down there. They don't have. Uh, a goal scorer now. Yeah, they, 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 you watch Vinicius and Raul Jimenez, and they are both clearly feeling the burden of expectation yeah. to yeah. fill the void of of Mitrovic's goals, which they were never going to do. And Marco Silva was desperately trying to sort of temper that earlier in the season, saying Raul Jimenez is not Mitrovic. We were not signing him to replace those goals. It needs to be shared around, but they just mm. they lack. They lack goal scorers, and your comment, Gregor, about William being the most important player in the team is is spot on. But it also underlines the problems that Fulham have because you shouldn't be relying well, on a thirty-five-year-old. But they have still got a, you know a quality team. Andreas Pereira, one of the standout players of last season. Jao Paulina in midfield. Tim Ream, Alison Rudd's favourite player in the whole wide world. You know. <laughs> They've still, they've still got a good bedrock of a team, haven't they, Tony? Good to watch. Well, they, well, they have. I mean, if I describe Fulham, and this is one player, and Gregor, will, I, I find this like the eighth wonder of the world, is like Kearney, Tom Kearney. He's, like, he's played twice for Scotland. Mm. Right now, Scotland have had some not very good teams over the years. And not Tom anymore, Kearney's Tony. been a re- <laughs> and he was a really gifted footballer. He's played twice for Scotland. And he's in, what, what's he now, Tom Kearney? 32, 33, Gregor? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, you know, and I think, and Harry Wilson, a great young player. Harry Wilson has not moved on to become an even better player. I think he, they've got a lot of people with still quite a bit to prove within that team. Um, I'm, I'm like Gregor, and when he talked about William, I'm like, wow, 
this is a guy that was completely in free fall in his career and has suddenly turned it all around. I mean, it, they, they they are still good to watch. Mm. Like just they just lacked that final bit, that final bit in the in the box, and it was just glaringly obvious through. That's why they're under a pound of ticket. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they, they, I think they were. You know, they surprised everyone last season. Um, with how attack, how much they attack the Premier League, and they're still doing that, but they just, they just don't. They, it's obvious. It's you know obvious analysis, but until they replace, uh, you know, the gaping hole that Mitrovic left, I think it's going to be a bit of a kind of touch and go season for them. And the problem is, I can, I can see them, them not actually replacing him in January or p- properly replacing him. And Marco Silva is the kind of manager who gets who very quickly. I'm surprised he he ended up staying in the summer so I can I'd be amazed if he's there next season we will see on that uh, Gregor very quickly on Sheffield United obviously another very difficult performance for them and an incredibly difficult moment for Chris Basham their player you've written about uh, the snapped bone the hushed fans I suffered the same agony as Chris Bas- Basham with his horror injury tell us a bit more about your experience and your thoughts and feelings as a journalist watching that happen to a fellow player yeah I've been in this job about six or seven years and I think yeah, it's the, probably the third time I've been asked to write this story. <laughs> that proves it's not doesn't happen very often, and it's a horrific thing. Uh, but you know, I wrote but when Luke I have to Luke Shaw and when it happened to Seamus Coleman, which were both quite a long time ago, and it's such a horrible thing to see. And it was one of those moments where you heard the the reaction of the crowd in that corner was just like it was so obvious. There was like a groan and then a, a kind of hush, and you saw Tim Ream. You know, really admirably go over and hold his hand, and uh, and unfortunately, the you know they wouldn't show it. You know, this one of these things they don't show the replays now. Whereas on the in the press box on the screen, they kept showing it over and over, like somebody didn't get the memo, and it was horrendous. Uh, and yeah, yeah, I, has looked a little bit lower down. Has looked like he's kind of dis- probably dislocated his ankle. I I snapped my kind of midway really up my shin. Mm. Um, and it's just as I wrote in the piece today. It's just the main thing is the is the monotony of what it is for like almost a year now of of every day having to kind of I, I give one in, one example and there's many many you could give of the type of thing you have to do where you you'll be in a and I can support a boot for maybe the next two months and you once that comes off, uh, your you know your muscles have wasted away. You've not bent your ankle for. As I say, like weeks and weeks and weeks, and it's just completely seized up. And uh, I just remember vividly that we had to tape, had to tape a, uh, a bit of tape to the floor up against the wall with kind of measurements in centimeters away from the wall. And every day, you would try and you'd put your foot back to maybe so you'd start at maybe two or three centimeters and try and bend your knee forward so you could touch the wall. You know, and you do that on your on your good leg, and it's like it's the most natural, easy thing in the world. You maybe get twenty centimeters, whereas you do this, and you you literally can't budge your ankle. And every single day, maybe several times a day, you're staring at this wall, just trying to force what feels like an immovable <laughs> object, with all the scar tissue and probably metal in your leg. Uh, and as I said in the piece, it feels like your ankle's like a bag of cement, just every day trying to force it through because if you can't do that if you can't get the the movement back mm. you can't run you can't push off you can't get through the full range of motion to build the muscle back up you can't kick a ball you can't do anything if you can't do that then you're finished so that's just one example every of the kind of the the biggest struggle is always in your mind just every day going into training and knowing that you've got to do those really monotonous mind-numbing things that ultimately get you onto the next stage, like getting out in the pitch running, uh, you know, getting back involved in training. How long were you out for? Playing. That was a year. Yeah. And in going back to that moment then of when the injury happens and you're on the ground, what's the first thought then? I'm finished? I might be my career over? Or just just pain? Shock more, shock more than pain. I mean, you, as I said in the piece, you, you, you know, I didn't... I mean, his was horrible because his leg flailed in the air. I, I was lying on my front and I knew I could feel that my leg was at an unnatural angle but I I couldn't look and and then I looked at you know you put your arm out like it's just help and you look at people's even your teammates just turning away in horror and you think oh god this is bad Um, and 
so the the first thing is shock and and then as I, as i said in the pc you kind of you're going away in the ambulance for the oxygen and just before the morphine kicks in you're just thinking wow that one moment is like gonna completely change your your career and life for a long long time i hope you know hopefully not as you say you have the fear that it could be forever he's 35 mm. you know i'm sure i'm sure he'll be able to get back and he's been one of chef united's stalwarts yeah. he's played this he's almost you know he's approaching 400 appearances mm. he was the pioneering overlap overlapping center half for chris wilder's team well chris uh, bought him didn't he, he bought him in from yeah he started in, started in league one he's had a brilliant career for yeah. chef united so you know, I really hope he does get back, but he will have those fears. He will have those fears. It's just once the kind of initial pain, shock, and sort of enormity and trauma of it all subsides, it's getting down to doing the boring stuff day in, day out. And it's the impact that that then also has on the team as well, because seven in eight, uh, seven defeats in eight in the league, and the, then to see your captain out for the lost, season. They've lost John Egan for a long period yeah. too. That's two of their... Yeah. You know, two big stalwarts in, in defence. Um, they've had a couple of fullbacks have been injured too. They've they've had some bad luck, and also, you know, they weren't good in this game. They were fortunate to, you know, they only really woke up once they went one behind, and they, they were a bit fortunate to get the own goal to, to equalise. But that the the manner of that goal they conceded to go two one down was extraordinary, and mm-hmm. so you know, Heckenbottom was saying afterwards that, you know, as well as losing the, all these players through injury. It was a bit of a sickener to concede that goal and, and they feel like not much is going right for them so far. So it's incredible, that Tottenham result that was turned around so late on yeah, and then to be followed up with an 8-0 defeat and then you're here against Fulham and you know you feel like, oh, psychology, psychologically, how's that affected this team? And it's quite clear that they've, they've really... They, they can't suffer injury. I mean, injury. if you look at injuries in teams, nearly half the Premier League have got so many players out. Mm. Sheffield United can't afford to have players out. They're going to nearly have to have nearly everybody fit all season to have any chance of staying up. Yeah, tough times for Sheffield United, and we wish Chris Basham the best of luck in his recovery. Another team struggling, Bournemouth. We're going to finish with them, winless in eight games under Andoni Iriola. It's an international break, everyone. It's a simple question. Are they going to blink? Is he in trouble? Tom Roddy. Uh, I don't think so this early. Um, the the next game against Wolves um, with O'Neill coming back may make them think again uh, because, uh, again, you sort of look back to when he got sacked and Iriola coming in and you thought all the all the positive things you heard from... Spain about him and one of the things that concerns me the most and it made me think of it when Cass was talking about David Moyes and West Ham being lucky to to have him um, because he does sort of give his all for the for the club I think David Moyes is aware of is is aware of PR and does say some things for for those reasons but I think he's, he puts his all into the club, whereas you see other managers, and sometimes the things that they say are protecting their own reputations a little bit. And I thought of this with you know Rob Edwards as well. He, he'll come to a stage where he has to decide, do I continue being the manager who, who um, plays attractive football but just gets narrowly beat? And the things I've heard from Iriola about being let down and things like that suggest to me he's panicking already. Mm. Gregor, would you, you know, we talked about in the preview show, uh, I think it might have even been you, Tom Roddy, talking about that decisive move and how that looked good, that looked positive for Bournemouth. As much as some people were saying, God, it's harsh to get rid of Gary O'Neill, Molly Hudson was saying it on last week's show, we at least praised them for making decisive action. It looked like they'd planned this, brought in a, you know impressive young coach from abroad. Tom Allnut wrote a piece about him. We thought, God, this is going to be exciting. Is this a case they just need time, Gregor, or are they, or are they starting to show worrying signs of not having that confidence to break through? I, I think they're quite invested in them, the, the, the club. I think it'll take a, a a bit longer for them to get really nervous. Um, the one thing is, you know, we spoke we spoke a bit about several teams now about maintaining the belief and what happens when that drains away, and I think we start to see that. Partly, look, they gifted them a first goal. Zabarni mm. slipped. Uh, when he was bringing the ball out of defence, and 
you know, this is another team you can level you know accusations of naivety at, perhaps. But in the early parts of the season, I watched a couple of the games live, and they were really, really. You saw all the things that he wants his team to be. You saw them being really ferocious in their press and on the front foot, and and they gave some big teams. I was, I was at the Spurs game, for example, a really tough game. That's starting to drain away a little bit, and you're not, as Paul Joyce said in his report, you're not. You didn't really see much evidence of that in this, and that part of that is because they gifted goals away, and they didn't. Part of it's because not every team plays that game. You know, Everton, you press Everton all you want, they'll probably just bypass it. Mm. So, it, maybe there's a bit of Iriola kind of getting to grips with what's different, a little bit different about the Premier League, perhaps. But I think I think they're quite quite invested in him, um, and I think it'll take a take a bit longer for them to get really nervous. I don't think they'll be thinking about anything silly just now it's always a difficult one um, because you can say invested and you know you can get a lot of backing it's how long do you go with it if you really see a lot wrong and Calvert-Lewin bullied the two centre-halves on Saturday you know he led the line really well and like giving goals away early now you brought in a guy that's got an attacking approach okay a new idea of how he thinks football should be played they're the lowest scorers in the Premier League Mm. after eight games got five goals so it's not really the style hasn't been implemented. If you could say, "Oh, they've been beaten four three and you know this is the style they're trying to go with," but they they're not. They right find it really hard to score goals. Solanke's actually done all right for them this year. Done okay. Um, I'm. I always think owners think differently from us. They see something wrong, and I think the modern day ownership is, even when it can be seen really really quick, if they feel they have to pull the trigger, they do. Yeah, well, I, I do have a degree of sympathy for him though, because Tyler Adams um, hasn't played, hasn't really played yet, and looks like he's going to be out for even for even longer. And Alex Scott was a really great signing for them from Bristol City in the summer. Again, same situation. Um, there's a, there's a, some of their key buys for, to prepare them for the Premier League haven't been available. Well, as you say, Tom, that matchup with Gary O'Neill and Wolves in a few weeks' time will be very, very tasty indeed. I'm sure we'll be discussing it then. But before that, we'll have plenty to talk about in the international break. And we've got a special show on Thursday. So make sure you're subscribed and make sure you tune in. Tom Roddy, Tony Cascarino and Gregor Robson, thank you very much for joining me. And thanks to you for listening. Make sure you come back on Thursday. It's going to be a cracker, I promise. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. History.